This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Great show for you guys today. It's draft week. We're here. We made it. Last year, uh, in the lead up to the draft, a couple days before the draft, we did a show with Dane and Nate. Just the biggest questions that we had heading into the draft. I love doing it. It was fun as hell. I thought it was kind of a great appetizer and a great way to kind of get into the final couple days before the draft. And guess what? I'm out of new ideas, so we're doing it again. Here to dig into these big questions that we have on the eve of the 2023 draft. First of all, it's our draft expert at The Athletic, Dane Brugler. Dane, how you doing, buddy? Man, it, it feels good to be here, but these next three days are going to be long until we get to uh, <laughs> until we get to actually that first pick. But uh, you know what? Let's savor it because uh, you know part of us will miss it next week when it's all gone. That is very true. Also joining us today, it's my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Yeah, Dane says that now, and then when he's opening up that Google Doc to start the beast 2024, then he goes, oh, man, <laughs> here, yeah. here we are again. Hello, darkness, my old friend. But itch. no, I, <laughs> I'm doing great. Excited for draft week. I think I'm going to tweet the Doof Warrior from Mad Max Fury Road about 15 <laughs> times this week, just because that's exactly what I feel like. I'm on the Fury Road. Finally, we're almost there. Just a heads up, so you guys don't forget, we are having a live draft show. Thursday night from Kansas City, 7.30 p.m. Central Time, about a half hour before the draft kicks off. We will be live on our YouTube channel doing all things draft. We're going to have live breakdowns, full breakdowns of every pick of the first round on Thursday night. And then we are going to be back on Friday doing every pick of the second and third rounds live on video from KC in a studio. Bells and whistles, fun stuff. Please come hang out with us. We're very, very excited about what is now round three of our live draft presentation at the Athletic Football Show. Far cry from draft one, where Nate and I were alone in a dark hotel room with two iPhones. So we were slowly trying to crank it up here. 1020 at whatever it was, the Hilton Garden Inn in Chicago, whatever whatever hotel that was. It was was. a courtyard, all right? So thank (laughs) you to the courtyard courtyard, for putting us up that night. We're really pumped. Please come hang out with us. For those of you who still want to listen to them as podcasts, they will be available shortly after the draft is over that night in podcast form. So no worries there, but we would love if you guys came to hang out with us. All right. We're going to dig into the biggest questions we have heading into the draft now that we're 48 hours out. Dane, we were talking before we started recording about how this draft specifically feels like we have more questions than we typically do. I mean, the top five still feels like a mystery. Everyone came out with their mock drafts or 32 team predictions today. Every NFL writer under the sun, they're all different. I mean, it just seems like there's so much conflicting information going on that this exercise feels more appropriate this year than it has even over the last few years. Yeah, no doubt. And let's remember, that's what the NFL wants. They want us talking about all these different scenarios and what might happen. And, you know, it's funny, growing up, I used to love the Home Run Derby. And the day before the Home Run Derby, they'd always play the past Home Run Derbies. And I'd love that. Uh, And so, like, this week, in the background, I've got past NFL drafts. You know, last night is a 1999 NFL draft, which is the draft that made me fall in love with the draft. And it's funny watching that. Me too, the Cade McNown draft. 
Yeah, I, it's Tim Dante Couch. Culpepper, baby. Yeah, exactly. Not Demetrius Underwood, though. We're not going to talk about that one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, like, hearing them, I mean, they were, like, tipping picks every single time. Like, it was yeah. like, uh, you know, they finally figured out, let's let's string it along a little bit. Let's, let's keep people wondering and, you know, let's make for good TV, good conversation. And whether or not that's part of it or not, that we have feels like more questions this year than we usually do. And a big part of that's the quarterbacks. When you have four quarterbacks that realistically could go top ten picks, uh, then you've got a lot of you've got a couple teams that we know are going to take a quarterback. You've got a couple teams that should take a quarterback but might not, and then a couple teams that could conceivably take a quarterback that maybe we're not. Uh, leaning into enough. So a lot of intrigue there. Trades feel like they're going to happen. Uh, you know, I think Bray, the closer we get, Bryce Young I mean, feels like he's going to be the pick at Carolina, number one. He's the best player in the draft, in my opinion. I think that makes sense. But then at two with the Texans, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before. I, I, what I've been told is the Houston coaching staff, there's not a consensus about the quarterback they should take it to. Uh, and, it's not, and it's not that they are multiple quarterbacks they feel should go number two is there's not a consensus that there is a quarterback worth taking there now Nick Casario ownership they could pull rank and say listen we're taking a quarterback so figure it out uh but I I think it's a better more likely outcome that they take a non-quarterback here and what is that Tyree Wilson is that Will Anderson and that brings us to three with the Cardinals and that's where things really heat up with the trade action uh, it feels like the Cardinals with their roster situation uh I mean I feel like uh, you know, listening to you guys talk on the athletic football show during the year, multiple times, I heard you guys say, this is the worst roster in the league. And I don't disagree with you guys. Uh, so they need help. And if that means taking the best offer, um, you know, what, what does that look like? Is it future picks? Is it picks multiple picks this year? So it feels like that trade is going to happen at number three, but who is it going to be? And, uh, and know, how many quarterbacks are going to be on the board? Yeah. That, that's the other question. Right. Yeah, so is it a team trading for C.J. Stroud? Is it the Colts moving up one spot for whoever their guy is, which is a lot of debate we'll talk, get into with that? Uh, so, yeah, so much intrigue, and it's a lot of fun to discuss all the different sliding doors about what could happen. What do you think, Nate, is the most fun outcome with the number two pick? Like, the thing that will throw this into the most chaos, potentially? The Texans trade out of number two and it's a big it's a team that moves up big time for them even if it, if it's vegas from seven is it the titans from 11 you know something of that sort like a big move up to number two where a team is trying to leapfrog and get their guy and leapfrog anyone potentially moving up to three or the colts just standing pat at four i could see that being i could see that if that happened that could be a hilarious <laughs> and a lot very interesting for us uh as we're doing a live show and breaking down all the ramifications of that but i would say that would be the most interesting outcome also just even if the texans do say hey wow we're really not sold on the guy we'll see how things trickle a after our pick and do we do anything with 12 and we'll just take will anderson we'll take an alabama guy a culture culture setter type of player as we're trying to kind of just get as much talent injection of talent onto this team so i could see those two outcomes being kind of the most interesting ones if they end up taking stroud or levis or even richardson any of the quarterbacks that too would be kind of like okay they took a qb all right uh, let's move on we all expected that but i say a trade back or taking anderson would just cause a lot of chaos because all of a sudden that number three pick becomes even more juicy than that it was originally 
The one outcome that I just don't really understand, Dane, or the one storyline that's kind of trickled out here is this idea that the Texans could potentially pick their a guy at two, a positional player. Let's call, say it's Will Anderson. And then potentially try to move back up for one of the quarterbacks a little bit later in the top 10. If you want a quarterback out of this year's draft, the idea that you would wait and then try to trade back up for one when you don't know which of the quarterbacks is going to potentially be on the board, that seems crazy to me. Like, that seems insane. Is that wrong? No, we're, we're on the same uh, you know, wavelength here because I that doesn't make sense. It's it's. Uh, now I get if you have these quarterbacks ranked very similar, like you know, I, I, I'm, but you, you have to love one of these guys or you don't. Like if and if you feel yes. comfortable drafting them at seven, eight, or twelve, whatever it is, just take them at two. There's no point in getting cute about right. it. So and, and I, as much as I love Will Anderson, this isn't a uh, Will Anderson. I don't I don't think you look at him as a truly franchise altering player, and so. It's not a case of you know we can't we can't just we can't pass on. Uh, it's a case of if if the Texans do take Will Anderson at two or Tyree Wilson, it's not because they view that player as being franchise altering. It's because they don't love one of the quarterbacks at two. So the idea that they would then draft one, you know, seven picks later or whatever it ends up being is very confusing. You can go back and there's not many examples where that second quarterback. Uh, with two with teams picking twice in the first round has worked out. Now it worked out with the Ravens with uh, Lamar Jackson was their second first rounder that year. They traded back up, but I, I mean, it's just, it's not a sound strategy, you know, right. get the quarterback, right. First and foremost. And if you love one of these guys uh, enough to draft them in the top 10 or top 12, then you take him at two. So I, I still feel like maybe common sense is going to win out. And I think they're going to come away with this uh, from this draft with the quarterback. Now that might be Aiden O'Connell in the fourth round, but I think there's a good chance they come out of this draft with a quarterback. It would just be surprising if it's with that second first rounder. The other thing that came out this weekend that kind of trickled out is that the betting markets have shifted. And I now believe, Nate, that Will Levis is like the favorite to be the number two overall pick. I don't know what to do with that. Like, does that mean that the tech there's been buzz about the Texans wanting Will Levis? Does that mean that there's been buzz about the Texans trading out of that pick? And there's another team like Indianapolis that potentially loves Will Levis. There's been a lot of rumblings around that. So even that little shift that's happened over the last 72 hours or so has thrown a little bit more intrigue and uncertainty into this entire process. Yeah, especially with Levis. Levis is the interesting one because even when I did the video for our YouTube page and I rewatched them and I'm pulling clips again. And I kind of rewatched it, even at like my summary at the end of the thing. It was, I understand how NFL teams will like, why they would like Will Levis. You watch them and you watch his play and you watch the offense that he played in. There's a lot that easily translates, even just stuff that's under center, quick hit and play action stuff. That is, I could see a lot of offensive coaches. You got to remember, there's a ton of guys with Shanahan influences in this league right now. Not just saying that traditional mindset kind of NFL offense is the Raiders being one. Josh McDaniels likes to do a lot on your center. I could see why teams would fall in love with that. And it's interesting, and I'm glad you said it, that you said the number two overall pick, not that the, then there's also betting odds. Will the Texans select Will Levis, which is different betting odds? And that is what is so interesting. That's the number two spot. So that's why seeing movement there as far as a team moving there or the Texans just deciding, hey, Bobby Slowick, what do you think about this guy? And Bobby Slowick, going, the offense coordinator from Texans, going like, hey, I recognize these ske- this scheme. If I had to pick a guy, this is the guy that translates the most to our offense, the easiest one I could see picturing in our offense. So that is would be interesting to me, and that one would kind of make sense because there is a lot of 
stuff that easily translates, even though there's other traits that these other guys have, what you watch Will Levis do on a snap-to-snap basis is a lot of what he'll be doing at the NFL level, even stuff that's pre-snap, huddling, calling the plays, handling all the shifts of motion. So I can see why teams did fall in love with him. And especially after the rewatch, I totally understand. There's been a lot of buzz about the Colts liking Will Levis, Dane. And I'm wondering what sort of noise you've been hearing about them and the them and Will Levis, them and other quarterbacks, because it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of stuff coming out of Indianapolis during this process. No, I mean Chris Ballard, he keeps things close to the vest, especially with this pick. And uh, but they're talking to other teams. They look at the Colts and uh, here that's where that buzz is coming from. Other teams believing that Will Levis could be the fit, and and really, okay, let's just say non-quarterback goes to, let's say the Colts move up from four to three, move up one spot to get their quarterback. They, they don't want to take any chances. It, it, this is almost like the third pick two years ago when we're up to the minute. We're talking about, is it Trey Lance or is it Mac Jones to the 49ers yeah. at number three? This year, okay, is it C.J. Stroud? Is it Anthony Richardson? Is it Will Levis? We've got three guys that we're debating who could be that third pick to Indianapolis. I think you talked – it's not consensus, but most around the league – believe C.J. Stroud to be that second quarterback after Bryce Young. But when you talk specifically for the Colts, that's where it starts to change a little bit. You know, I uh, was texting with uh, someone this morning who used to scout uh, with Ballard and KC, and I asked him, who do you think he's going to take? You had you to just take a guess. He said Anthony Richardson. Talking to other people, they think Will Levis is that fit. But C.J. Stroud, with everything that he offers, and, I, you know, if you had to put the safe label on one of these quarterbacks – you're doing it with C.J. Stroud this year because of that floor. So you know, and, and then you get into the whole. Uh, let's just let's let's get this out of the way. We have to talk about the S two testing. Okay, this is. Something- I want to ask you about what the just the conversation yeah. around C.J. Stroud over the last week or so because it seems yeah. pretty wild. What's been what's happened recently and what's going on right now? So for me personally, I chose not to include the scores of the S two testing, which it's a relatively new. Some teams have been using it about six, seven years now. Other teams don't use it. Um, More than half use it in the league. Uh, I chose not to include the scores uh, in in my draft guide. I never have. Wonderlick, I don't include them. Um, It's just, I think it's a little unfair to the players because those of us on the outside, we don't know how to properly use the information, including myself. 100%. I'm still learning about how to properly use these test scores in my own evaluation. So I, I choose not to do it. Now, I knew it was a matter of time before they came out, and they did this week. Um, I, with C.J. Stroud, the, his score is shockingly low, especially compared to Bryce Young and Will Levis, who were both in the 90s, and then Anthony Richardson, who's not too far behind from those two guys. So, And I was told C.J. Stroud took it multiple times. He was drastically low. And these are th- this test is supposedly a really great indicator of processing, basically, to sum it up. Um, and you know, it's again, not an exact science, but a lot of teams do, uh, really subscribe to this. And one of the teams that play, pays close attention, the 49ers, uh, Brock Purdy scored off the charts in, uh, in the S2 testing. Um, yeah. Where did D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick cut their teeth as coaches? San Francisco. So now this Houston staff, uh, they're looking at CJ Stroud and you know, the, how much does that S2 testing factor in into their evaluation of these quarterbacks? So it's at least, I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but it's at least a data point. How big of a factor is an unknown variable, but it's still relevant to the conversation. This idea, Nate, that CJ Stroud has the highest floor of these quarterbacks and that he has a really definitive floor. 
I was talking to a couple of coaches about this recently, just this idea of what creates a floor for NFL quarterbacks. And I wanted to posit this to you. What do you think is the aspect of a quarterback's play or an aspect of playing the position that causes a guy to crumble like more than anything else, where you are just not a viable quarterback in the NFL, even if you're drafted high? What would you say that it is? Lack of process. Like that, uh, and lack of process leads to bad eyes and bad footwork because everything just goes off off the rails right away. I'd say the best example that we have recently is the biggest example, Zach Wilson. 100%. And, and that is that how Zach Wilson played in the NFL is kind of everything that could go wrong uh, as far as footwork, timing, just everything because it, it that's what I would say is the number one thing. It's your way to win, way to your pro- everybody wins in a different way, every position. Some are very similar, and then that's why we can group them all together. But everybody wins, and how Josh Allen wins is totally different than Joe Burrow, who's totally different than Patrick Mahomes, who's totally different, all the top guys. And so I would say when you watch every single guy, and it's like, okay, how do you hit your singles and doubles? Like, how do you get on base? Everybody's going to be a little different. And so I think when guys don't have that, they're just swinging for the fences. There's not a lot of down-to-down consistency. I think that's where you see the issues crop up and you see guys just fall fall apart because that the flash plays and everything's out of structure, yada, yada, yada. It could be different ways. If they have to rely too much on that and not stuff that's more sound and sustainable, that's where you see the issues crop up. That that's it, I mean, It's interesting you said that because Zach Wilson is who I had in my mind. And Zach Wilson, the pocket presence and yeah. the ability to navigate that space when it gets a little bit muddy, he doesn't have that. And I think if you can't do that, that's the fastest way for you just not to be a viable quarterback in the NFL. If that moment causes you to crumble. And so that's why I thought that the conversation around Bryce Young and CJ Stroud was interesting because Bryce Young, that's what he does best. So being able to navigate those muddy situations, to me, it feels like Bryce Young's floor because of that is actually pretty high. And where we haven't seen CJ Stroud do as much of it, does that mean that CJ Stroud's floor as a passer, is potentially a little bit lower than we've been conceiving of it because that's the one question about his game that kind of exists compared to a guy like Bryce Young. I think, well, I'm not disagreeing about Young. I'd say with Stroud, it's that the games where they're the the muckiest games, the Northwestern game is the one I always come back to, even Iowa, um, where shit wasn't going right. And he had to kind of do more with the offense and carry more of the load. The Georgia game is going to be the one everyone brings up. And that game, of course, is the epitome of it. But that's where you have to, just because you don't see it in every game doesn't mean the guy can't do it. Yeah, Sometimes being right. on a loaded team, I watch Mac Jones, like just sit in the pocket and throw RPOs <laughs> all over the yard. And it, it, like, it was amazing. It was incredible. It was just it was accurate, just pinpoint accuracy to these fantastic receivers. But it didn't mean I went, oh, he's got terrible pocket movement because he never did a drop back. You know, it was, uh, you have to extrapolate what you do see, the couple snaps that you do see. And I think Dane will agree with this and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's what I think scouting, especially with quarterbacks and every, every position, really, it's what fat you can trim out from the film. What, what translates? Will Anderson in the four eye isn't going to translate because he won't be used that in the NFL, you know, but especially with quarterback, just because he's operating from a clean pocket doesn't mean he's, he can't do it. And it's just that maybe he doesn't have a hundred reps at it. Maybe he just has 15 reps at it. So the ones that you do see, and there's a couple plays against Georgia, of course, where I do see Stroud do that, that I'm not as worried about it, even if you don't see it in the film. I think even Zach Wilson, when he came around, I was a little worried and had question marks about it because he was throwing trick shots from just cause just unnecessary, like bailing out of po- clean pockets and throwing stuff sidearm. And it was cool, but that's what caused the question marks. I was like, wait, that pocket's clean. Why are you bailing? I think with Stroud, you're seeing 
those maybe five snaps a game that you can kind of like take and say, that's an NFL rep, that's an NFL pocket. That's what you're trying to carry over. And I uh, just want to uh, kind of add on to this. That's why I started liking Levis even more is that because his teammates were so bad, he actually had the most realistic NFL pockets to work with and how to get rid of the ball and find targets and manipulate himself in the pocket, good and bad. But I think that's why it was easier to translate his stuff. And Stroud, you have to take the two, three snaps a game and, and figure it out. The last thing I'll say about the top 10 quarterbacks, there's a chance that Seattle or Detroit takes one of these guys. Right. And we haven't even mentioned them as part of this process. So there's just so many different dominoes that can fall in different ways what, within the top 10. What, what you're saying too, like it, it, what's cool is that how these teams are taking these guys are in such different situations too. Usually yeah. these teams at the top, it's like they need a guy because they suck. It's like some of these guys, it's like, this is a bonus pick. This is a, oh, they're halfway. Like the Panthers could hit a guy and easily be a nice playoff team next year if things go right. It's like that's what's really interesting and cool about where these guys can go in the top 10. So let's move outside of the top 10 a little bit. Let's say that one of these quarterbacks starts slipping outside of the top 10 in the way that Justin Fields did in 2021. Dane, who do you think is the most interesting team, maybe in the back half of the first round, that if we saw them click onto the board at 11 because the Titans didn't like a quarterback. We've been wrong about that. Something like that. Or the Eagles wanted to move back. Who is the most interesting team that could make that sort of move up the draft for you? Probably Tampa. Um, that's a team I keep coming back to. Uh, they did have a t- uh, 30 visit with Will Levis. Um, you know, so they may be thinking if Levis did slip a little bit, that's someone they would go up for. Uh, you know, obviously they're in a state of not sure what we're doing at the position right now in the Tom, in the post Tom Brady era. Um, uh, Kyle Trask, I n- never graded him as an NFL starter. I think he's going to be a solid backup in this league and that's fine. Um, you know, they, they, they draft him what late second round. So maybe mm-hmm. they have higher hopes for what Kyle Trask is going to be. But, uh, I, I think that if you have a chance and we have a general manager with Jason light, who's, uh, you know, who knows? He, this might be his final draft. Uh, so, you know, you're in a position where, you know, go back to the, the Bears and they trade up for Justin Fields. It's almost like, you know what? If we don't make a move now, we might never have a chance to make this move. So let's just screw it. Let's go for it. And maybe that's uh, what the Bucks will do. So, uh, you know, I think they're in a, pos- a really weird position because the roster is semi-ready to compete, but you're mm-hmm. missing that quarterback. And that's a, it's a big part of it. And obviously with a rookie quarterback, it, things might not go well if that's end up who's starting for you. But at least you have a plan in place that might give you a little bit more of a lifeline if you're head coach, general manager. Nate, how about you? Which team could move up into the top 12-ish for a quarterback? You'd be like, okay, now now I'm interested. You, you have my attention. It was the Bucks. I, I thought the Bucks would be super interesting as well. Uh, just because, Robert, we, we've talked about, especially free agency and things, the Bucks moves this offseason was that the roster is pretty dang good. <laughs> they have a lot of tangibly good players under contract as well. They could easily slot in a rookie, you know, rookie contract right there and it would really make it a lot more workable and tolerable what they're trying to do. Um, yeah, they still need like a left tackle, but as far as defense and pass catchers, wouldn't it be the worst place to drop a young QB in. I would just tell, you know, Baker to shut up every day and just be like, hey, hey, this is our guy. I know you're competitive, man. I know you're competitive. Like, just shh. But I, I, I agree with Dane about uh, Kyle Trask. Tra- I just want to have dot, dot, dot. I've never had like Kyle Trask thoughts, I think, on this podcast. But uh, last, last preseason, Trask balled out and I, I was shocked. I, I watched him. I'm like, he was kind of like my breakout player of preseason was Kyle Trask, which if you had, Betting there would have been a thousand to one odds that I would have brought up Kyle Trask. I think the Bucks told me everything they need 
they needed to in week 18 against the Falcons this year when they played Blaine Gabbert for three quarters and didn't play Kyle Trask at a, at a, a nothing game. They didn't have to win, didn't have to lose. They're playing all backups, and they wouldn't put Kyle Trask in until the second half. I was like, got it. I got. I, I see that. You don't want to see him in a real game? No? You want Blaine Gabbert, who's like in his 12th year? Okay. All right. All right. That's what you guys feel. So I think that's all I need to know about their their feelings of Kyle Trask. But I will say that the Bucks would be the most interesting one to me and one that actually kind of sort of makes sense if one of these guys falls. I just keep going back to Minnesota and like what their quarterback plan is. And I don't know if they have the ammo to move up or if they have any interest in moving up or if there's even a guy that they think is worth moving up for. But that's just the other team in the back half of the first yeah. round where it's like, I just want to see what they end up doing here over the next calendar year when you consider what Kirk Cousins' future looks like. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. After the Texans pivot point at two, Dane, is there another team in the top 10, maybe that's even a little bit outside of the quarterback conversation, where you're intrigued what their pick is going to be and maybe what their pick is going to do to kind of set off things that come afterward? I think so. Okay, let's look at five and six. It feels like Seattle and Detroit are going defense. I think that's the right move. It makes a lot of sense. Maybe they surprise us. One of them takes a quarterback, maybe. But it just feels like those two teams are going defense. The Raiders at seven, to me, are such a wild card because Dave Ziegler, he's had one draft as a general manager, and he didn't pick until 90th last year. Yeah, he didn't have any picks. (laughs) We just don't have a frame of reference here. Go back to Josh McDaniels' days when he was in Denver, when he was running those drafts, and it was all over the place. You're drafting Tim Tebow. Tebow. Yeah, uh, no Sean Moreno in the first round. Uh, I mean, he drafted Demarius Thomas, which obviously was a great pick, but it was all over the place, and so – Raiders could go quarterback. They could go offensive line. They could go any level of the defense. I, none of those would surprise me. And so I think the Raiders really are a wild card here with uh, the direction they could go. And that that's, you know, maybe it depends on how many quarterbacks uh, are still available. There's a lot of intrigue there with number seven. I, I can't wait to see what the Raiders do. I'm going to read off the starting players on the right side of the Raiders offensive line and then at several players on positions on defense. Right guard right now, the first line of the depth chart is Alex Bars. Right tackle, it's Jermaine Illuminor. At yeah. defensive tackle, right now, the first line on the depth chart is Jerry Tillery, who the Chargers cut last year, and Bilal Nichols. Tillery got, the, the Chargers got a great run defense, right? They, they, that's, <laughs> that's why they can get rid of a bunch of guys. Okay. At corner, we've talked about this, Nate. The starting outside corners yeah. right now on this roster, on this depth chart, are Duke Shelley and David Long Jr., like and so you could anything you could ju- you could justify anything if they pick Skaronsky and just said he's going to be our starting right guard for the next ten years it's like cool you need one of those and I feel the same way about corner and I feel the same way about yeah. the interior of the defensive line it it really is going through this team and I think we talked about this maybe when I was at Barnwall on the other day it's just a reminder when you actually look at the depth chart how many things that they still need and why right. the te- the process they went through last year trading away those picks that we just talked about is a little bit strange and I think that. Set them on sort of a weird timeline. 
that was uh when we did our AFC West preview last August and uh, we got to the Raiders and you start really diving into the depth chart and you're like, who else you guys got? Uh, I, I see Devonte Adams. I saw you guys sign Chandler Jones. Okay. All right. Those are like cherry on top moves. Those are like, oh yeah, we're all in. You guys are still like two steps away from contention and they, they are better than what their record was. It's actually kind of nice that they're, they fell into the top 10 and I think they'll be, but they move on from Derek Carr. So it's kind of like, two steps forward, one step back for them. So I agree with the Raiders one, uh, like as far as being super interesting and intriguing in the top 10, they actually are the one team, and I already mentioned this, that as I did that Levis video, I actually love the Will Levis fit for the Raiders um, as far as what their offense is and what he brings to the table. To me, though, the my answer to this question is the Lions, um, just because I could see them going so many different directions. Like Dane said, I could see them going defense, especially in the front line. Anderson, uh, if Will Anderson falls there, Jalen Carter falls there, uh, Tyree Wilson, that's right. He could go anywhere in the top 10. All those guys would make sense. If they want to go corner and as a continuation of the guys they signed this offseason, if they want to go QB of the future, or if they want to trade back and just like, hey, screw it. We got this pick and we're in a cool spot. When the quarterback falls, we're not taking the QB. I just think that they're kind of the international men of mystery uh kind of <laughs> kind of of this top 10 there's a lot of men of mystery in this top 10 but i really i'm in- intrigued to see what the lions do how about outside the top 10 day is there a team outside the top 10 we're just like i can't wait to see what they come away with like in the top 100 man i oh yeah there is uh <laughs> in general i would go with the bills <laughs> I, I, I've decided there's like a really, my first answer was there's so many teams in the twenties I, I want to talk about here, but if I had to pick one, cause I'm trying to limit myself here and not answer five things, I'm going with the bills. Uh, do they go O line? Do they take a receiver anywhere early? Do they take a tight end? Do they go defense linebacker in a weaker linebacker class? Do they go defensive line and try and find a different type of player there? Um, they're current. We got to remember the bills are still pretty damn good they still have a window right now to to compete they're currently tied for the third third highest odds to win the super bowl right now um there some of the discussion has cooled on them but i'm just really curious because they're not pivoting like a hard pivot as a team but they're tweaking uh what they're doing right now so i'm curious what this draft indicates what tweaking they're trying to do or a continuation of the tweaking so i want to see what the bills come up with because i think they could if they hit this this could be an ultimate heat check for them they could really like leapfrog again back into that contention mindset I want to list off the top 100 picks the Bills have made since the Josh Allen draft. (laughs) Ed Oliver, Cody Ford, Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox, AJ Epinesa, Zach Moss, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, Spencer Brown, and then last year's class, I don't think we can make any definitive decisions about or statements about. That's Those are those guys. They have not found those difference makers early in the draft, and I think you're starting to really feel it, and I think that they need this year to be a pivot away from that. It's obviously harder when you're picking in the 20s to find those guys, yeah. but even like one random second round pick, it's like this guy's a borderline star for them. That just hasn't happened. It's like a lot of starter quality guys, but not a lot of needle movers, yes. which is but you're competing. You need you need a couple guys to like just get more out of than you're expecting. It'll be Dan- interesting to see what, with Buffalo at 20, uh, 27, do they really want to get that extra weapon for Josh? Right. Or, do, or do they really want to build up that defense? Like it's right. And, and there are a couple of these teams in, the, in those 20, the Chargers, for example, like you have to sign Herbert. So you have to hit on these picks to get solid starters, these cheap starters. And so are you going to do it with more help with uh, Dalton Kincaid? Or are you going to build up your defense and so I, some of these teams in the 20s with those young quarterbacks, with those uh, either big contracts like Buffalo or soon-to-be big contracts like mm-hmm. Cincinnati, 
the Chargers. Yes. I, those are really interesting picks because there is a level of we got to get this right. And so it's shooting for the moon, but maybe going for a safe option to someone we really trust is going to be that solid starter that we need the next four to five years. Is there anyone else for you, Dane, outside of the top 10? You're just like, man, I just have been, been, there's been a level of intrigue for me that maybe I didn't expect. I was going to mention the Chargers because I, you know they feel they feel so close, but it's just like okay, what, what's that move that they feel? No, you're not is, doing is, this to me again. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, but and also, uh, I want to mention Dallas because Dallas is another team that they, yeah. they have a championship roster. Uh, and so, what do they feel like is going to get the? Dallas has been so good in the first round. Uh, like they deserve a lot of credit. Will McClay. So yeah, well, absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. so, okay. At, at number 26, where they're picking right now, uh, where, who do they feel is going to be their pick this year that that's going to help get them over the hump? So I mean, I tell you this, Jerry is not getting younger. Jerry wants another title. Uh, they're, they are going for it right now with, mm-hmm. uh, the setup of that roster. So I, I'm really eager to see what Dallas does. All right. We have not talked about this very often, but I think one of the biggest questions coming into the draft, simply because we didn't talk about running backs that much, where does Bijan Robinson go, Dane? What are the teams that you have circled? I mean, what are the teams that you've thought about the fit and how he would work there? I mean, what are, what does that look like for you? I think you know, I've, we, we've talked about this several times on Prospects of Pros. I don't think we talk enough about the possibility of if Bijan went eight to Atlanta and what, I, I mean, you think about the setup of that roster and that offense, how much fun that would be. I yeah. mean, it, it, whether or not it should happen or, you know, whatever, we, we could talk about that another time, but how, if it did happen, what that would look like. And all of a sudden that Atlanta offense is looking a little more, you know, a little more impressive. And they've taken those big swings in the top 10 on offensive playmakers the last two years with Pitts and Drake London and so it kind of fits that they would do it with a, a Bijan Robinson. You, you know, Terry Fontenot was in uh, New Orleans when they drafted Mark Ingram in the first round. I, I mean, I think that there it's not as crazy as some people want to make it out to be. Uh, I'd love to see Bijan at 10 to uh, Philadelphia. But the last time the Eagles drafted a running back in the first round, none of us were born. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so let's, let's, let's come back to reality. And <laughs> where's Bijan actually going to go? I don't. It's a good question. I. I mean, I had him going to Washington in my in my mock draft. I. You know, I think that's a team that they obviously a quarterbacks a little bit of a question mark. That seems like they're fine with Brissett and Howell as their quarterbacks. Ownership is changing. They need some excitement. I, I could see that happening. Um, I. It, it, let's just say he gets past Washington. Okay, so he's out of the top half of round one. Where does he fall at that point? Detroit at eighteen. You can't rule out. Um, even though it just seems like, you know, with the addition of David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift's right. still there. It just feels like that's uh, too much of a luxury there. Would the Chargers do it with, uh, you know, their current running back situation? I, so much. I, I, I don't know. That um, one would be really fun. I don't, I I don't know so if much. I would support <laughs> it, but him landing with the Chargers would be really fun. And, and then I, I don't think he gets past Dallas at 26. So right. it, it, where that, that's one of the harder parts about doing a mock draft is trying to figure out where does Bijan go because he's going somewhere in that – Top 26. It's just a matter of where, uh, if he gets to a certain point, would Buffalo look to make a move up to go get him? I mean, could he be someone they see as like the missing piece of that that offense? I don't know. It, it's, uh, I mean, you can't rule out Cincinnati with the way yeah. that they're looking at running backs now. So I, it, it's a fascinating conversation with Bijan. And that that's one of, you know, the quarterbacks in the top 10. That's going to be what drives the conversation Thursday night. 
Bijan watch. J- I think then Jalen Carter watch where Jalen Carter goes, and then yeah. and, and then it becomes Bijan Robinson watch. Where does Bijan go? Because someone's going to get just a heck of a fo- football player. You, you mentioned the Eagles haven't drafted a running back in our lifetimes since 2010, when Howie Roseman became the general manager of the Eagles. They have only drafted four positions in the first round over yeah. that 14-year stretch. Do we know those four positions? Defensive line. Yep. Defensive line, yeah. Uh, line. Quarterback. Line. Quarterback. Wide receiver. Wide receiver. That's it. Yeah. They've drafted three receivers. They've drafted, I think, three or four offensive linemen, three or four defensive linemen, and one quarterback. That's it. They've drafted four positions in the first round in 14 years. So it's not just that they've never drafted a running back. It's that they have a very specific idea of what type of players are worth first-round picks. And guys like B. John Robinson have not been that in the past. You have to wonder if they did trade back from 10, does it become any more palatable for them? You know, if they move back from 10 to, let's say the Bucks. Say the Bucks move up for a quarterback. So now right. Philly's picking at 19. Does that become more of an option for them at that point? I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Uh. It, it, but it just seems like that it goes against their mo, it, it, against the ownership, what they believe in, the GM, uh, and, and all the way down. So it, it becomes hard to see. And I, you know, I think they do have high hopes for Rashad Penny. And you know, not not only that, but. This is a deep running back class that that needs to be talked about when you talk about Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs and these top running backs. Is a lot of teams feel fine waiting till the third round and getting a Tank Bigsby or uh, Tajay Spears or uh, uh, Roshan Johnson, Kendra Miller. I mean, the list goes on and on about quality running backs in that third, fourth round range that don't have the first round price tag. As someone with the Rashad Penny fantasy stock, the dynasty stock, I desperately hope that the Eagles do not take a running back until like the fifth or sixth round. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Nate, outside of Bijan and Jalen Carter, both of whom will incite their own watches on draft night, which guy are you most interested in seeing what his draft position is and what that range looks like? Uh, Michael Mayer. Uh, because what I thought going into this process would be like, oh, yeah, this guy's going into teens, no doubt about it. Just pick which team in the teens that he's going to go. And now it's like, well, Dalton Kincaid, there's teams that are above. Yeah, have him as tight end one, and he's going to go above. And so that makes it interesting to me because I thought he was a kind of an unquestioned tight end one in this class. And the fact that there's even question marks, I think that's more interesting to me, that it could be surprising that he falls back. Him and Kincaid or uh, Michael Mayer and Don Kincaid have the exact same odds, I think, at this point in time to go be the first tight end selected. So I think just the what his range could possibly be, how far how far does he fall could be interesting, or does he not fall at all? So I'm just curious where he how the NFL views him because just the whispers of him, I think he's kind of gotten taken for granted about what his skill set is, what we've talked about uh, on the uh, the tight end show, uh, Dane. But I'm I'm glad you said the by the way, but but the Bijan with the Falcon stuff, it's like. Even though, yeah, we could talk about value and everything as a scheme football nut. Oh my god, that would be so much fun! It would be the uh, most fun easily. Yeah. Have oh, yeah. Easily, Pitts, Drake, easily. London, Bijan, Robinson, and then it's, you know whatever they end up. I guess we talk about positionless football. Like, but th- this is the same team a couple of years ago because they they were the Island of Misfit Toys. They had their quote unquote running back Cordell Patterson lined up as a tight end. Their quote unquote tight end lined up as a slot receiver, and like they they just had everybody shipped. They had a quote unquote tight end as their uh, running back and protection. So it's uh, Bijan is a true, true three down player. That's why 
if you're looking at this type of player, like as far as snaps play, touches, he can pass protect, he can catch. That's just a weapon. So it doesn't matter what position he is. So that's why the value, I think, with Bijan's maybe a little different than other spots. But I would say Michael Mayer is the one, if we're not talking about Jalen Carter as well, because I know we'll be on Carter watch. I'm on, I'm on Michael Mayer watch a bit. Yeah. But by we're, the way, I mentioned I was watching that 99 draft. It was fascinating watch Mike Ditka give up his entire draft Plus a first and third the following year to go up uh, and get Ricky Williams. It's just an amazing time capsule of what used to be and how things have shifted and, quite a bit. And Eagles fans were pissed about Donovan McNabb because they oh, wanted yeah. Ricky Williams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that and, totally and different change. We have a consensus running back in the top five of pretty much every single big board that anyone has yeah. put together. And we're wondering if he's going to be on the board at 26 when the Cowboys pick. Right. Another Texas Donald running back. That's it. Exactly. Uh, I, I wanted to mention – Jackson Smith and Jigba as a guy that I'm he's one really, I have circled as well. Yeah, yeah I, you could make a case eleven Tennessee. You know they desperately need, need uh, playmakers in that offense, and you don't have to sell Mike Vrabel and Ohio State guys. So that could happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Fifteen of the Packers give Jordan Love some support. Uh, mm-hmm. I heard you guys talk about him on uh, today's or yesterday's podcast. Uh, you know, I, I think you just drop him in with Romeo Dubs on the outside, Christian Watson on the other side. Uh, but you look at the Packers, they have drafted one wide receiver in the first round the last 20-some years. Would they really take a slot receiver in the top half of round one? I, I mean, I, it makes sense, but would they do it? I don't know. And then I had uh, JSN to Seattle at 20 in my mock, and I love that fit. But again, is that a team where uh, do they love the value there? And so uh, there's a couple teams in the 20s where... You, you can make a case, uh, you know, with uh, they need a re- an extra receiver, whether it's the Chargers, the Ravens, the Giants. JSN's a really good player, but he's a certain type of player. And so right. he might not be that exact fit for all of those teams picking in the 20s. So JSN, where he actually ends up on draft day is going to be really interesting. What Dane's saying, too, is that that's why when I use the term scheme independent or scheme like the scheme proof, that's why it matters. Like and JSN, like Dane's saying, is a good player, but... It's not perfect for every situation, every scheme. And that's why all these prospects and everything, when they could just get dropped on anywhere, and they're like, yeah, they're an improvement on whatever you got. And it doesn't matter what scheme you run. That's why I always kind of want to bring that up. But JSN's a perfect example of that. So th- I think the JSN conversation leads me to my next question here is, how early do the receivers go and who's the first one to go? Like, when does the receiver run happen? When do we see the first one come off the board? Is it going to be surprising who that first one is? Is it Zay Flowers first and then JSN goes after him? It seems like that's a pretty big bit of intrigue here, Dane, especially when you compare it to what we've seen at the position over the last couple of years where there wasn't nearly that level of mystery associated with it. We knew it was going to happen early. Right, exactly. And, and I it's still the same mindset that teams have with receivers is they want them. They want to score points. They want to be more dynamic on offense and receiver helps you do that uh, better than in every position outside of quarterback. And so every team still wants those guys, but this draft doesn't have them uh, at least in uh, relation to the last two drafts. And so mm-hmm. there's one line of thinking that's saying, you know, team, and this is what I, I, I heard in the fall is, you know what teams are going to be fine waiting until round two to get that receiver. Um, it's just, it's an average class. They're not going to force the issue. But then as we get closer and closer, it's like, you know what? Teams need these guys. And so they're going to take them. And uh, it, it becomes it becomes dicey to figure out exactly which teams are going to do what. I mean, like a guy like Quentin Johnston, who has been, it's been a roller coaster for him. He's uh, <laughs> top 15 pick. Now he's out of the first round. Now he might sneak back into the first round. Uh, you know, I think all these teams look at these guys really differently. And so that makes it tough to have the and, and I could say the same thing about 
tight end. I could say the same thing about corner, where there's a lot of these guys, but everyone has them grouped a little bit differently. How early do they feel comfortable drafting them? What's the order that they have them in? So, uh, you know, I think, you know, with, with JSN, it's kind of sums it up. He could go as high as 11. He could fall out of the top 20. I, neither of those uh, outcomes would be particularly uh, surprising. Do you think that JSN is the best bet if any one of these guys is going to get drafted in the top half of the first round? He was the guy that you would assume would get drafted that high? Out of the receivers, yes. I mean, yeah. I think he's, again, if you had to label a safe guy among these right. groups, I, I think most teams feel comfortable with who JSN is, what he's going to bring to your team. There's just not a ton. He's wrapped in clear wrapping paper. You he's know? universally it's, liked. Right. Like, and, and you know, I, some teams don't love him. Some teams love him, but he's universally liked. And, and, and there's High, high no, rotten tomato score. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and no assembly out of the box, right? You don't feel like right. you have to do all this work with him to develop him, to get him on the field. You yep. feel like, realistically, he will be out there week one uh, when your season opens. So I think that's part of the appeal with uh, JSN as well. Nate, is there another kind of positional run that you're interested in in terms of how it shapes the first round? Yeah. Uh, once the teens start, I'm curious how the tackles start going, the offensive tackles. Uh, another position. And again, every position is like this, especially in this draft. But there's little consensus, it seems, on how teams stack these guys, how even people in the media world that are watching these guys stack them, uh, you know, people I respect, like a Brandon Thorne, uh, uh, friend of the show, uh, others like that. But it's everybody's kind of all over the place. It's kind of there's a consensus on who they view maybe as a quote unquote first round guy. But even after that, the stacking is different. So I'm curious if there is a run on tackles in the teens because there's a lot of teams that seem to need them. And it could just get interesting. Where uh, where does like a guy like Dewan Jones go, who I view as a second rounder, but teams might want to tackle. And in this class, there's every, there's even if there might be only 10, 12 first round graded guys, there's still 31 first round picks. <laughs> so some of these guys are going to go earlier than we expect. And once that's where needs kind of crop up, Anton Harrison from uh, from Oklahoma, guys of that sort. There's another guy I'm going to bring up later, then, so I don't want to spoil my own stuff. But here we go. But tackles, I, I'm really curious to run on that, and then corners following that because I think that's what's going to happen in the teens. It's one the just like in a fantasy football draft, someone's going to take that one position, and then there's going to be a little run. And I just think that's exactly what's going to unfold in the teens and the early 20s with tackles and corners because there's so much grouping with those positions, and there's you know four to five to six at each of those spots that could t- like realistically go in that area. And to your point, I think Darnell Wright, he he also that's, has one of the widest possible draft yeah. ranges. He, he could go to the Bears at nine, plug and play right tackle. Wouldn't surprise me at all. He could fall into the 20s. I, Which, I think he yeah. has a wide range of where he could end up. Um, I love him. Yeah, <laughs> so. but he, 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 easy guy to love on tape. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of things in his favor. And so, I, yeah, the, the tackle this the tackles this year, I don't think it's a great tackle class, but the guys at the top are intriguing. And yeah. there's, you know, they project as NFL starters. And those guys go early. So, yeah, I think there's a good right. chance we see our run on those guys. There's more than one guy with 36-inch arms. Like, or yeah. 30, like, long, like, there's a lot of guys where I I think you're, like, it's not top-heavy where it's like, oh, this guy, top five pick, don't even think twice about it. But there's a lot of guys that can become that pro bowler, right. like legitimately so. And that's why it's interesting because how people project these guys. If there's a bunch of them on the board, it feels like that run will start at nine. 
I, I oh, just yeah. can't imagine like outside of like a Jalen Carter type falling to the Bears. It just it just feels to me like picking a right tackle there, making sure that you're leaving this season with no excuses for your quarterback is yep. it has to be the priority for them. And maybe that's Skaronsky if if the the right. corners go seven eight in the way that right. we're anticipating maybe. And if it's Skaronsky, what does that do to how those dominoes start falling? Because now all of them are on the board. And then does Tennessee take a tackle? And if Tennessee takes a tackle, what does that mean for the Jets needing an offense? I mean, just that's how all of this stuff can yep. go. And the Steelers that's why might it's so fun. Guy. Yes. Yep. Do the Steelers uh, yeah, move up for one because there are yep. more of them on the board than we thought? Like all of these different options potentially playing out at that position. I'm more interested in it this year than I have been in years past because <laughs> certain priorities existing in my life. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this one, but I think a question we have to at least think about what's the big veteran trade? That could happen in this year's draft. Obviously, we're sitting there last year in Vegas, and we got Matt Havy, our boss, holding up a whiteboard with the AJ Brown trade on it because that's where we were technologically during well, last year's live stream. The highlights <laughs> of my experience with the athletic was that right that moment. Yeah, and those and those moments are amazing. Like when those yeah. are happening in real time, there's nothing like them. So, what is that this year? Do we get the Aaron Rodgers trade, which seems unlikely but possible? Does DeAndre Hopkins get moved during the second round of the draft? Like what that veteran trade looks like, Dane, if we're going to have one, could potentially shake up the first or second night of this thing. Buda Baker recently, yeah, he mm-hmm. made a. He, he said he wants to be traded. Um, I mean, the Cardinals feel like everything's on the table at this point, so right. you, you can't rule it out completely. Even though it'd be crazy to you know trade your best player on defense and really a guy that's a heartbeat of that locker room. But I, the two guys you mentioned are obviously the, the more the most realistic. Uh, Aaron Rodgers at some point. I mean, the Jets have those two twos, uh, so it feels like sometime before Friday evening an Aaron Rodgers trade needs to get done. Um, and then DeAndre Hopkins, what's it going to, is it going to cost a two? Does it cost maybe you're swapping picks? Is that involved somehow with the, the the Cardinals moving back from three? I mean, there's a lot of different ways they could uh, make this work, but it feels like those two guys you mentioned with DeAndre Hopkins, Aaron Rodgers, those are the names most likely to move. But I, you know what? We didn't, I don't think a lot of people were saying AJ Brown. They didn't throw Hollywood Brown in there too. Uh, yeah, that's right. 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 I, you know, we weren't talking about really those guys as, nope. you know, look for them to move spots or, you know, uh, be traded on, on night one. So maybe there's a, a few surprises up, uh, up someone's sleeves this year. I hope so. God, God, yeah. I hope so. Because that would be really, really fun. <laughs> T Higgins. Ooh. That's not, that. I, that I would be absolutely shocked by. Yeah. I, that, would too, that but, I would be absolutely hey. shocked by. I, that, that's one that I'm going to write off, but if there's, I, the other guy I keep coming back to, what like, the, like Mike Evans is the one I keep thinking about. Mm. They they didn't restructure him the same way they restructured some of those other guys. He's going to be a free agent after this year. Like, yeah. do they think they're relatively close? I mean, that's the one guy I just keep thinking about Maybe. outside of DeAndre Hopkins. Or those vet vet running backs. The yeah. Dalvin Cook, uh, Austin Eckler, even Derrick Henry's of the world. Like maybe some middle round fodder uh, for one of those guys. That's that's that market's also interesting to be too. Speaking of fun moments from last year, my next question here, Dane, who is this year's Cole Strange, potentially? Who is the guy that's going to go in the first round where people at home are like, who? And you're like, yes, it's the best <laughs> moment of your day. Yeah, I, I don't – because really the last five years, that is probably the only Cole Strange moment we've really had where yeah. tr- truly a guy we thought in the third round maybe went in the first. So, you know, the chances are it won't happen this year, but if it did um, – and, and look, I'm, a, I, I did, I'm not including anybody – that I've seen in a first round mock. So like a guy like Steve Avila, he could go first round. Jack Campbell yeah. could go first round. Yeah. Uh, Joe Tipman is a name that mm-hmm. not 
Many Go people Badgers. are thinking, yeah, not maybe Center thinking, from Wisconsin. But we could, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, two names I'll, I'll throw out there as I, I have not seen it in a first round mock, but it wouldn't shock me. It could happen. DJ Turner, the Michigan corner, uh, who yeah. ran the fastest 40 at the combine. Uh, there's just, you know, a lot of things I like at him. Check the box at corner. Uh, it's funny because Dax Hill, I think, is kind of one of those guys from last year where we weren't sure mm-hmm. if he was going to go in the first round, and then he snuck into the back half of the first round. So that's, that's right. mentioning a Michigan defense back is interesting. The other guy I wanted to mention, Quan Martin, Illinois safety, uh, really more of a nickel. Uh, I mean, they kind of they rotated it between single high okay. and the slot. Yeah, and he's he's tests off the chart, big time athlete. Um, he's like a kind of a 90-10 player where like the first 90% is great, and then 10% it's like, come on, finish. Uh, but you know, he when you have that type of ability, you don't last very long. So Quan Martin, one of my favorite players in this draft. I'm I'm frustrated I didn't rank him higher honestly because i how much i like him but if someone said you know what we're sitting here at you know 28 whatever it is uh, he's he's the top guy on our board let's screw it let's take him i i would not be surprised at all yeah i got one but this is why i didn't want to spoil my offensive line discussion matthew bergeron from syracuse yep that's another I, one yep yeah this uh you i think you have a second round grade on him that's yep. kind of like been the consensus around yep. there uh, late watch for me as I get around to day two, day three offense alignment. Uh, I, but I, this guy has that movement ability where I could see a team falling in love with him in the late twenties, especially if there's a run on tackles and offense alignment in the teens. Oh, sh- oh shoot. We wanted to take a guy where, uh, oh God, they're all gone. They're all gone. Okay. Take the guy that we have the early second round grade on, uh, kind of, yeah, Cole Strange might be a good comparison, not as play style or anything, but as far as how teams view him, maybe. Uh, interesting movement ability. I He's a left tackle for Syracuse, could have potential at guard, but I would still give him a shot at tackle because I think he has the arm length and athletic, athletic ability. Kind of a – his. The footwork I compared him to almost this is sound weird, but like Peyton Manning's footwork in the pocket where it's very chattery. Uh, but he has like good like good quick feet. It's just that he like doesn't stop him moving. And I'm like, okay, plant him, plant, plant, like look at a little force into it. But I really like him. Uh, uh late watch it, like I said, but I could see him maybe sneaking in the back half of the first round I, as a kind of a surprise tackle. I'm glad you mentioned him because he he's another name I wrote down is because again, with offensive linemen, you know, a lot of teams need that depth. And he's one of yep. the guys you think maybe tackle guard versatility. Uh, the characters off the charts, uh, movement skills, toughness, uh, a lot of the pedigree you want. So, yeah. I, I mean, four year starter, right? Or yeah, early yeah. starter? Yeah. yeah. Four year starter, played right tackle yeah. and left tackle. So, a guy that yeah. teams are going to look look at and just say, you know what, he's not going to make it to us in the, in the second. So, yeah, let's take him here. Right. I was curious, but there are a couple of teams in the back half of the first round that could potentially use them, you know, like the Chiefs yeah. might oh, yeah. need a right tackle. The Bills, Nate, we talked yes. about potentially if they want to upgrade a tackle. So a couple teams in that range that could be interesting. You got to make those Syracuse season ticket holders happy. That's you know, right. That, that, you know, that's hey, right. Come Western on down. New York, man. <laughs> on the flip side, Dave, that, those are guys who could go higher than we might think. Who's somebody that could go way later? than people have been predicting. Somebody that's been a first half of the first round player that you think could slide a little bit. Obviously, you know, Jalen Carter, Bijan Robinson, those are the guys we talked about outside of yeah. those two guys. I don't it's hard the first top half of first round. I mean, I guess I've seen John Michael Schmitz, the Minnesota center, in, in a lot of first round mock drafts. I just don't see it there. I mean I think he's a I, a solid player. I think people are just forcing it, you know, with mm-hmm. like, okay, this team needs a center. You know, we've seen, you know, I agree with that. is it Frank Ragnow or, you know, whoever your, your your center is that you draft in the first round. 
as much as I like John Michael Schmitz, I just see more of a second or third round pick. And so I I would not be surprised at all when he's still on the board outside the top 50 picks um, come draft weekend. Um, The other one I wrote down, Darnell Washington. Uh, You know, uh, it's the the talent or the, the traits are off the charts. He's a truly unique player. But do you like the idea of Darnell Washington or do you really like Darnell Washington? Because I think a lot of people are thinking about what he could be and the idea right. of it. And it's like, it, it sounds great, but what what's the percentage chance he reaches the epitome of what you're thinking about and Darnell Washington as a full-fledged uh, player? I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of teams might opt for quote-unquote, the more, you know, the safer player where we know what we're getting with him instead of shooting for the stars uh, with uh, Darnell Washington. And if everything clicks exactly right, right, what he potentially could be. So if Darnell Washington falls out of, you know, the top 40 picks, that shouldn't be too surprising. I love that one. Uh, Darnell Washington was the one I had first. But what about Kalijah Kansi uh, uh, yeah, from Pitt? Right, right. Uh, been popularly marked as kind of like D2, D- defensive tackle two for a lot of people, but I think as time has gone on and people are kind of, well, he's kind of a tweener. Does he kick out? Like, you know, he kind of undersized guy that he, obviously, cause he went to pit, he got those Aaron Donald comparisons, which is so unfair to any player, much less any, like a guy like this, but I, I could see maybe him, maybe, you know, dropping into maybe the second round and it shouldn't surprise people. I don't think. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm almost mentioned oh. him. Sorry, real quick uh, for the widest possible Rangers Range. because yeah. you know, he could go 18 to the Lions. He could fall to the second round. I mean, there has not been a defensive tackle with sub 74 inch wingspan drafted the last decade. And I mean, he's just a, wow. a short, small player wow. and you yeah. have to be okay with that. So I, if he's still available at pick, you know, 42, I, yeah. would, would it be that big of a surprise? All right. right let's a couple of rapid fire ones here. Dane, outside of Anthony Richardson, who do you think is the biggest risk reward swing in round one? I mean, let's say outside of Jalen Carter, too, because obviously okay, yeah. that's, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, two I wanted to mention. Brian Brzee, um, love the talent, but, you know, he's dealt with several injuries the last two years yeah. and he's a, he's just a tall player. And I just I wonder if he'll ever be able to fully unlock all of that talent that he has. I love the potential, but there's just there, there have been things holding him back and it just worries me moving forward. Um, I still he's think he's tackle from Clemson. Right. Mm-hmm. And I still think in the 20s. He could still be end up being a steal at that point. Uh, then the other guy I wanted to mention, Joey Porter, corner for the, for Penn State. You love the length, thirty four inch arms. He has speed, but he also has stiffness. And I think that savvy NFL route runners will really be able to tie him up if he doesn't win with that initial jam. Uh, I, I think that Joey Porter Jr. There's more risk reward there than I think gets talked about. How about you, Nate? Uh, well, you know, any of the quarterbacks is a pretty <laughs> risk reward. Like even Bryce Young, love his game, you know, but it's an all-time size outlier. So you're kind of, you know, that is kind of risk rewardish to me. A guy that I kind of, uh, I like, I really do like, but there is some risk reward to his play style and maybe just what you're projecting is Broderick Jones, tackle from Georgia. Um, really young and he came along. You have to watch when, when you do study him or I know not a lot of people, this comes out or going to be watching off its line for the next two days before the draft happens. But you have to watch the second half of this year to really project what he is because he's such a young player, just needed the live reps, and it came along. But you are projecting. That of the top tackle prospects, I would say he has the most or the least amount of kind of tape of like proving what he can be, but it is there and it is flashes. But where he might go top 14-ish, 
uh, maybe the first half of the first round, it is kind of a little risky to me, especially when comparing them to maybe the other top offensive linemen uh, in this draft. But that's one. Lucas Van Ness as well. But I don't really – I think we have kind of come around on what he actually is. Uh, like, you know, exact, I think he is getting slotted kind of fairly, so I, I don't want to really throw him into this grouping as well. A couple more quick ones here. Dane, who is the guy that we just overthought in this process? That, like, when it all is said and done, he's going to be a good player. We shouldn't have gone through all of this trouble <laughs> uh, the way to get in there. I think Emmanuel Forbes, uh, the Mississippi State corner, uh, you know, 166 pounds at the Combine. That's hard yeah. to overlook. And again, it's yeah. not like he's 5'9", 5'10". He's, over, he's almost 6'1". So, you know, he is a string bean, wiry, thin-boned. You have to be okay with that. But this is a guy, go back to, forget just three years at Mississippi State. Go back to the last six seasons. So his final three years at in high school, first three years at Mississippi, Mississippi State, he had a total of 30 interceptions. That's insane. Uh, set the FBS record he's for a player. Uh, pick sixes. <laughs> I mean, he is a guy that finds the football. And you know what? I, I was a little hard on him early because he, he likes to freelance quite a bit. And that's that's part of why he ends up with so many interceptions. But over time, I kind of realized the more I you know really dug into the tape and watched more and more, I realized he does it responsibly. Like he's very smart and savvy about the risk that he takes. Um, and, and so there is a level of you know we mentioned instincts and awareness with corners and what does it actually mean? I he has that where it's just a feel for route combinations. It's a feel for spacing. It's a feel for how to bait quarterbacks into making that throw and some and still being in position where he can attack that passing window so with Emmanuel Forbes and it's not like even though he is 166 170 uh he he doesn't play to that all the time like he will try and tackle he tries to get physical um and so as long as and he hasn't been a guy that's been hurt he's played in every game the last three years so I think that that number is hard to ignore when you talk about Emmanuel Forbes but this is a guy that – another guy, first round, uh, if he ends up going Thursday night, wouldn't be surprised. How about you, Nate? Who's your favorite, the guy we overthought in this process? Well, Forbes is – I love Forbes. Like I, I, His tape was one of my favorite corners to watch of this grouping, so I'm, I'm glad Dane mentioned him or we threw him in here. But I'm just going to go with – I think this is some more of the consensus. I'm going to bring his name up again. It's Michael Mayer <laughs> because I just think is – I would say we – uh, this trio that's talking right now, we but is what we're collective right, right. we, I think there's been some overthinking of what he brings to the table, him and I think Will Anderson as well. I think uh, they got the kind of knock of being too good too early, and then everyone's expecting that next leap. It's, well, a guy like Will Anderson, I will bring it as like, he almost had 40 TFLs in the season. It's hard to improve on that. Uh, so, of course, there's going to be a half step back in his play, quote unquote. And same with Mayer, who came in as a true freshman tight end at Notre Dame. I just want to reiterate that. True freshman, best tight end at Notre Dame. That is saying something and looked the part and did everything right for three years. Those are the two guys that I would mention. Will Anderson, Michael Mayer, that maybe kind of kind of getting dinged unfairly because they've been too good for so long. Two more. Dane, your favorite guy to watch in this process. You, you've watched a lot of guys. Yeah. What was your favorite experience scouting a prospect in this draft? I wrote down four names. I mean, I mentioned Quan Martin, um, the Illinois nickel, how much I enjoyed him. Um, Tyler Scott from Cincinnati. I talked quite a bit yeah. on the receiver show. I'm just, I, I really believe he has Tyler Lockett upside. Um, Christian Gonzalez, the corner from Oregon. Uh, love all the traits that he brings and what he could grow into. One of the youngest players in this draft. Uh, but it all comes back to Bryce Young. Every week, uh, he would do something that just made you sit up in your seat and be wowed. And I was far more impressed with his tape this year than I was when he won the Heisman Trophy the year before, 
you know, when he had Mechie and Jameson Williams and those guys this year, it was my favorite exercise every Sunday when reviewing the previous day's uh, film was see how many plays that I could find where it was just magic by Bryce, yet it went down as an incompletion in the box score because either uh, the just receiver dropped it, he didn't come open. I mean, he's doing all this stuff. And I mean, does it Arkansas, Texas, LSU, Name a tape. It doesn't matter. There is an example on there where he just, it, it felt like he's creating and he's not getting any help out there. And so it's it just, a, it's a case of him putting the offense on his back and just dragging them up and down the field. So watching Bryce Young play was really a, a, a treat to watch week in, week out. Nate, how about you? One. Favorite guy to watch in the process? I mean, Bijan Robinson was pretty fun. Uh, that that, that yeah. is a guy you watch five plays of, and you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. And then you watch 50 plays of it, and you go, yeah. I get it. You watch 500 plays of them, you go, oh, okay, I get it. Awesome. One of my favorite guys to watch in the last like three or four drafts, really. Um, Darnell Wright, the offense tackle for Tennessee, really liked his game. Um, I do think he's kind of a 90% Tristan Wirfs. Like, and I, I think this guy has a lot of potential, even uh, more than I thought going in, especially having to watch that Tennessee offense way too much. Uh, a guy that I really, really loved his game, even if I don't think his upside is all the way there. We talked about this on the edge prospect video with uh, Deontay is Nolan Smith from Georgia. Just a like just a tough football player who gets it. Um, uh, any guy that doesn't wear gloves, even though I was not a tough football player, I was a quarterback. Uh, I do appreciate that style of play. A guy that just knows what he's doing and does it well and has some gifts. Even it, it's funny when a guy tests better than you expect because of how their play style is. Like it's it's an interesting kind of disconnect there, but I love it. And the last one I will throw in here is another running back. Um, I love watching running backs. By the way, it's probably my favorite position to watch. Uh, it's Devon A. Chain from Texas A and M. Um, a 180 pound running back, which usually I would don't care, like throw him out last year. I brought it to my attention because I watched Isaiah Spiller and the whole time I'm, I'm watching Spiller just couldn't get around on him. Gave him a day three grade. Everyone yelled at me when I threw that grade out there and look what that what's happening there. And then I'm watching the backup and I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And he's a track star just has unbelievable track times, but I don't want to um, de- devalue what his running back ability is, has vision, has feel of any under sub 200 pound or even sub 190 running backs. This guy's the most running back ish of those guys on top of being a, a world-class track athlete. Um, so, but his tape is a lot of fun. Just a real football player on top of being a very gifted athlete. All right, Dane, a bold prediction for Thursday night or for this draft in general. Lay one on me before we get out of here. Uh, I'm going to go with the Eagles end up with an all Northwestern first round. Uh, they go, this is, remember Northwestern won one game last year. They won the opener and then they lost 11 straight. Uh, so Peter Skaronsky at 10. Yeah, I think Howie Roseman wants that defensive lineman, but he knows offensive line, not going to stretch in this draft. Defensive line will stretch. Peter Skaronsky at 10 and then come back with Adabare, uh, the defensive tackle, the three technique, uh, there at number 30. Uh, you get your plug and play guard, uh, maybe your future right tackle in post lane Johnson. And then you come back with your interior disruptor, one of the freakiest athletes we've ever seen at 285 pounds. Be fun watching him and Jordan Davis next to each other. So uh, that's my prediction. Could be any more different. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of fun. So all Northwestern first round for the Eagles. That's a fun one. Nate, you got one? Yeah, I do. It's a it's a two parter, of course, because I, I I always just can't help myself. But the same amount of tight ends and wide receivers get drafted in the first round. I would say three of each go in the first round, and then I would say my second part of this is more offensive linemen than pass catchers will go in the first round. 
So yeah. I, I was, or better yet, same amount of non-quarterback skill players will go as linemen. So that <laughs> so seven and seven is what I'm predicting, anyways. Yeah. But uh, that's that's my bold prediction, which is actually more or less the same one I had last year. So I'm 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 a hack. All right, guys, that is all we have. That's our last show with the three of us before we get going on the draft. We got a mock draft coming tomorrow with both of these guys featured. But this little trio, our last podcast in preparation for the draft. But again, another reminder, three of us live Kansas City on our YouTube channel, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday night. We are bringing you the entire first round, breaking down every single pick. Also, we'll be back on Friday night doing the same thing. For rounds two and three, we got some fun friends visiting. We got some breakdowns we'll have for you guys that night. Really, really excited about it. Please come check that out. Rest of this week, we got the mock draft running on Wednesday, so no prospects to pros. We're going to put Dane and Cryo sleep until the, the draft actually <laughs> starts. We also have Football GM coming to your way on Thursday, the same way they normally would be. For now, that is all we've got, though. Thank you to Nate. Thank you to Dane. We will talk to you guys later. This was The Athletic Football Show.